Welcome back to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Macy. And I'm your co-host, Aaron Manis. And today we had on Jesse Dittmar. Haven't had a ton of portrait photographers on the show in our almost 200 episodes. That's coming up pretty quick, huh? Wow, that's crazy. Pretty uh, cool. But, but no, we have not had, I think, such a dedicated portrait photographer to the art of portrait photography. It was really awesome and really interesting, and I... I, I was most impressed, I feel like, by his drive and conviction from such an early age that this is what he's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hearing that story of, you know, being a photo assistant for seven years, assistant to people like Andy Leibowitz, and then eventually, you know, going on his own. It was interesting to hear how he said, oh, I went off on my own too early. I liked, I liked kind of hearing yeah. that story. I didn't get the chance to ask if he deemed that a mistake or just bad timing or necessity. Maybe he'll write to me when he hears this, but, um, you know, going from there to eventually photographing people like Brian Cranston, David Letterman, Peter Dinklage, you know, you can go on his website in the episode description and see portfolio of his work as well as, uh, clicking his, uh, Instagram handle, which is also in the episode description. But, uh, I think we got into some, uh, some pretty deep mindset concepts, especially around, you know, when, you're throwing curveballs when you've been told you have two hours to do a shoot and now you have two minutes and (laughs) people who may be being difficult on a set or, you know, just some of the unexpected things I thought was kind of interesting to hear and how to navigate that. And of course that comes with, with experience, but trying to get that level of experience is, is what it's all about. Yeah. There's definitely some of those good stories towards the end of the episode. Um, some personal stories with some of these, uh, famous celebrities. Uh, so definitely stick around, but I think we should just get right into it. All right. Word from our sponsor and then we'll be right in. We'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Tamron Americas. Tamron lenses are known for their exceptional quality, offering sharpness and clarity comparable to more expensive lenses, but at a more affordable price point. I have plenty of Tamron lenses in my kit that I use for wildlife, landscape, and commercial photography and videography. Their lenses are available for multiple camera brands, including Canon and Nikon DSLRs and Sony, Fujifilm, and Nikon mirrorless cameras. This versatility allows you to use Tamron lenses with your preferred camera system. I personally really love the VC vibration compensation in a lot of their lenses, which allows me to get stable footage and images when I'm out in the field. I also really like the wide range of lenses Tamron offers because it ensures that I'm covered in every shooting situation and so that my creativity isn't hindered by my gear. If you'd like to try and or purchase Tamron lenses, head to your nearest brick and mortar or online photo retailer today. You can also head to Tamron's website by clicking the link in our episode description to view their full lineup of products. All right. Well, Jesse Dittmar, thanks for joining us today, man. Appreciate uh, you offering up your time today. I got to say that before we even get started. Before, uh, before we pressed record, you and Aaron came to the conclusion that you're both Connecticut boys, so yeah. you can you can bond over that immediately. And right now you are in Brooklyn, New York. How long have you been there? Uh, I'm in New York for over half my life now. Um, eight, eight, 19 years? 19 years. And it's got a hold of you. You're never leaving, are you? Brooklyn forever, man. Brooklyn forever. Cool. Right on. And That's- is your studio there? Yes, it is. It's in Dumbo, downtown Brooklyn. Beautiful spot. And I'm in uh, I'm in lovely Bed Stuy, where I live. All right, so people can stop in and say hello next time. Yeah, you're in that come area. by, say hi. There's lots of coffee shops. I'll meet anybody. People people message me. They want they want to talk. They want to know how what what the secret sauce is. I'll buy them a coffee. Come to Brooklyn. Say hi. The secrets. So what what do you say when people reach out to you like that? Let's maybe let's start right here. You know, because we're always encouraging people. There's this there's this thing where it's like, oh, I gotta have a mentor. I gotta have a mentor. I don't really think it works that way. I think it's a lot more organic. And it starts with a cup of coffee. It starts with the hey, can I pick your brain? What uh, what's your kind of reaction when people reach out to you like that? Because I'm sure you're at a stage in your career where, you know, people obviously look up to you for good reason. Your portfolio is amazing. You Thank clearly you. know what you're doing. Your work is stunning. Okay. Um, and how do you maybe decipher uh, some of those individuals who reach out to you where? you notice that they've got something they've maybe gotten it it factor versus maybe those who don't um well those are two different questions i uh when when someone reaches out to me i I usually just have a lot of questions for them because that's usually what they're trying to figure out is what they want to do and how they want to do it and the best way for them to figure that out is themselves Mm -hmm. so 
there's a lot of a lot of what are you trying to accomplish and what do you want to do with your life and your photography and I think a lot of people come to me because I clear I put out such a decisive clear vision of my work and what I want to do and a lot of people aren't really sure what they want to do but they see that I know what I want to do so right. uh, they come to me looking for some some sort of guidance and and the the answer almost inevitably always is you got to do you you got to figure out what you want to do and i was lucky enough to figure out that i want to do exactly what i'm doing when i was 17 so i've had right. i've had 20 years of following a path uh for the most part without getting off of it and when you've done it that long and have had that strong of a end goal and vision you're you're gonna look like you know what you want to do <laughs> yeah for sure um so that's that's inevitably what we end up talking about as far as like the second part of your question i guess um knowing if someone has it or not i mean that's let me rephrase that question if you don't mind please knowing if somebody because I, I don't know if i don't really believe in the it factor what i meant by that is if somebody if you notice in notice a quality or a characteristic or maybe an idiosyncrasy that says hmm, they really are into this. They really are interested in, in finding out what they want to do, or they really are interested in improving, or you can insert any sort of phrase there and not just essentially asking you questions for the sake of asking you them. Yeah. Curiosity obviously is huge, huge factor. Persistence is huge the ability to prioritize mm -hmm. uh, those, those are probably your three most important character traits to, to be, to being a successful photographer, I guess. I haven't really put it like that before, but. No, it's interesting. And you mentioned, so at 17, you were fortunate to know what you wanted to pursue. Yeah. A couple questions based on, based on that statement. Is there a light bulb moment for you? Because a lot of people are searching for that. And I think for some individuals at age 17, they know what they want to do and they pursue that for the rest of their life. And that is incredible. Yeah. And for some people, they know what they want to do this month and then that changes next month. And then maybe that changes five years from now. And sure. I think the, the latter sometimes get frustrated. Why isn't anything sticking or why sure. isn't, why am I not? committed to, to one thing. So first part of the question is what was that moment where you knew, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this because I, I know this is what I want. Yeah. I, well, it's hard. I mean, I think, I think in hindsight, you want to simplify moments into light bulb moments and most likely they were a little bit, they were a little bit elongated and kind of right. evolving. But for, for me, certainly, you know, I was, a lot of things led up to my led up to the quote unquote light bulb moment. I, I was in a, got exposed to a dark room when I was 14, 15 and I thought it was super cool. And then I had a photography teacher in high school that really nourished my, my enthusiasm for, for the medium uh, and kept pushing me to, to keep photographing. And I was kind of like, I was definitely a met, you know, he definitely mentored me and, and pushed just, fostered my desire to figure out what photography is all about. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, my aha moment was definitely like sitting, you know, Connecticut, you would know, Aaron, uh, you know, sitting in a Barnes and Noble, like on the floor mm -hmm. of the photography section and just looking at all the photo, the photo books and specifically the portrait books, the portrait books of, of, of Leibowitz and Irving Penn and Avedon and, uh, Nigel Perry and Martin Schuller and all these, all these people that I was just so at, at that age, I had no, I knew the people I was looking at were famous or important in some way, but I had no idea like what the why or the how are those, those books being created. And I, and it felt like at that moment I was extremely interested and continued to be interested for decades on the, the answering those questions of, of why and how. Um, and, and I still 
you know, last week did a, two shoots and still thinking about why and how. And, uh, and so I got inspired, I got inspired on, on gross, unclean, green Barnes and Noble carpet. And I haven't looked mm-hmm. back since then. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I think it's interesting to point out that you just rattled off the top of your head, maybe five, six inspirations that you've had, uh, in terms of photographers and, and following that path. And, and you can think back to like, I don't know if that's true for everyone in this, you know, social media space, photography space, because it is a, it is a craft that you kind of can just go and get going on and right. kind of look around at a bunch of you know, posts that flip through and you have no idea who the person is and like, oh, that inspires an idea. And it's kind of like a one hit wonder in a sense. And you go do something, you go do something else. But if you think about like musicians, they definitely have musicians that inspired them when they grew up. If you think about athletes, they definitely have athletes that inspire them when they grew up. And I encourage people, myself included, to really dig into maybe um, who are some of the photographers that are inspiring or that give you like, whoa, like that, those moments of awe, because it, it is good to dig into the past and, and what has been done and why the why for certain people and, and, and kind of explore that. I think that's interesting. Seth, do you like, and I'm not putting you on the spot cause I don't, I couldn't list six photographers that inspire me the way that uh, Jesse just did. I got my more. Point. How many more you want? You see, like, I, I think that, I think that's my point. Um, you knew so early and it was such a passion and still is. I think that's just a very interesting path compared to most now. Like I, I'm relatively new compared to you at photography. It's been four years almost to the day. So happy anniversary. Aaron. Thank you. It, it really is <laughs> just about um, my first post. Uh, but yeah, Seth, so I could, I could name some, but not as quickly as Jesse here. I would have to yeah. think, all right, yeah, yeah, yes, that person, mm-hmm. right? But uh, no, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, the second part of my question was going to be, okay, if you've known what you've wanted to do for a very long time, what does it take to keep raising the bar in that laneway? What does it take to continue to be creatively stimulated what does it take to you know continue to be excited about this arena you're in when you've been in it for so long and you've potentially uncovered so much is it taking risks is it changing techniques what is it for you at least i one of the i mean one of the reasons why i love being a portrait photographer is that part of it is inherently different every single time because it's a different person. So different people will inspire me and I'll learn from almost every shoot about something or someone I don't know or didn't know about. That's, that, that's the biggest answer is that I'm, I'm continually, you know, I photographed last week, I photographed a fitness influencer for men's health magazine. And I never thought I'd be photographing a LGBTQ body positive fitness influencer. And I, and that's a space that I've got very little knowledge about. I mean, I'm uh, it's certainly very little knowledge about. So, right. so walking into that shoot, there's creative juices flowing and th- and ideas and ways to tackle that photographic situation that I've never done before, and I've been working for for a decade. And so that right there is 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 a reason to get excited and reason to try new things uh, and, and a reason to want to keep working. But I think a lot of it is just internal mental illness of uh, wanting to just do it so badly um, and wanting to photograph and being obsessive and, and being self-motivating because the industry is so difficult that if you don't, if you don't have, some sort of supernatural that's not the right way to say it supernatural but if you don't have some sort of internal engine mm-hmm. motivating you it would be easy not to be motivated i think yeah and that's my ears always perk up when for certain keywords and being self-motivated you said that i went oh let's go here before we get into more portrait stuff <laughs> don't worry folks we're gonna get into portrait stuff <laughs> It's a very, it's very difficult for people to get self-motivated, 
Yeah, it's very people. It's very difficult for people to want to go to the gym. It's very difficult for people yeah. to want to start that project. It's very difficult like, for some individuals. What is getting What is getting yourself motivated look like for you? Uh, you know, I'm my my brain works that a seed, some sort of idea or a seed gets implanted in my brain, and then I can't I can't do anything until it's out until I've completed it. <laughs> or you go crazy. Um, or yeah, or or some you know, or <laughs> I just needs it just needs to happen. So if I come up with an idea that I want to that I want to shoot or a person I want to shoot, I'm gonna I'm gonna to the detriment of most other things in my life pursue it until it happens or until I am pretty confident there's no way it's gonna happen or until some other idea supplants it. So motivation to me, as soon as I get a call for an assignment, I'm immediately motivated. Uh, right. I'm, I'm about to, someone just gave me an opportunity that I didn't have the split, split second beforehand. Uh, and that just gets my, gets me going when I was younger and not, not being asked to, uh, shoot assignments or projects or whatever. And it was completely all myself. It, it was a, it was a desire to, to learn. It was a curiosity. It was a desire to learn. It was a seeing other people's work, seeing, seeing work in my own head and wanting to figure out how to do it. Um, seeing what I could accomplish, seeing, seeing what was technically possible, what was technically what I was capable of, uh, what would happen if I did, if I tried taking a shoot this way with this kind of technique or equipment, or what would it look like if I went that way? And what if, what would it look like if I did photographed models or this or that, and just kind of just like, exploring and you know i didn't the i just was never satiated i would say in the beginning of my career uh before you know when i was still basically when i was a photo assistant and when i was in college and stuff i was just never satiated with the answers um i was just continually curious and that i mean i don't know i don't can't tell you i can't tell you why that is i'm just kind of like a an obsessive compulsive guy <laughs> Give me and, often when you can't put things into words it, it says a lot on its own i know some people might say that doesn't make a lot of sense but i, I kind of i understand what you're what you're saying i'm passionate and you have to be this is a kind of work that you need to be i'm compelled okay and and if you want to do what i do you have to be compelled to do it mm -hmm. right and and a and obsessed, I think, is a, is kind of a good word that maybe gets a bad connotation sometimes. But um, it can be bad. It can be good, but it can be bad too. But to to stay in to stay in the lane that you started with, I guess when you were you know seventeen, eighteen, to stay in that lane, I I, th I find to myself, I think photography is pretty easy in terms of a medium to to switch to a different lane and be moderately successful. And get that early sort of dopamine rush of like, oh, I do sports photography. I'm going to go do some food photography. I have some ideas and and be successful. Like th those were good photos that that worked. But to really dive into it beyond the uh, the sort of you know this is this is good enough or this is like a solid B to get to that A plus and beyond of a certain genre, I think does take that sort of being compelled or obsession for sure. And not everyone has that. A lot of people are jumping around, myself included, just, you know, testing the water, seeing what diversifying, whatever you want to call it. And there's benefits to that too. But I, I think to, to really be a master of a craft, you, you do have to kind of put on the blinders and go like, this is, this is what I want to do. And I want to do it at the highest level. I do you agree, agree, Seth? I would hundred percent agree. Yeah. 100% agree. That's why I have Seth here. He just goes, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> no, that's no, not he true. doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You got to push back sometimes. What do you 87% uh, agree on? Is the question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out soon. Yeah. <clears throat> so, who are some of the people you've had uh, the privilege of working alongside in your career? Some. Uh, I already know the answer to this question because I've done my research, but they say don't ask questions you don't know the answer to. I don't, or that you already know the answer to. I don't think <laughs> I follow that too often. And that's why I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> but uh, who have you worked alongside and how has that influenced you? And is it true what they say, don't meet your heroes? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, you're asking who I've photographed. No, a lot like who you've worked for. Sorry. What clients I've worked for as a photographer. 
No, more so as an assistant in your when you were as starting. As an assistant, yeah. yeah. So as an assistant, I worked for. I ended up working for my idol. I worked for Annie Leibovitz, Martin Scholler, crazy uh, Mar- Marco Grob, Chris Buck, uh, Stephen Shore. You know, uh, you know everybody uh, in my in my space, and it was it was awesome. It was amazing. What a what a uh, what a fertile master's degree program that I fell into there. How? I'm just going to ask the question. How? Same, same concept with photography. I just, I just saw these people doing this work and I was like, I am going to focus on figuring out how to work for these people. And cause they know they have the answer. They, Mm -hmm. they, they have, they have answers and not, not necessarily the answer, but they have answers that I don't have. Uh, and so let me go, let me go figure that out. And I mean, I, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's in a sense, it's a little boring. The answer to this, it, it, if you, if you want to do something enough and you tell enough people about it and then you're good at it, you'll get, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I just told everyone in my life that I wanted to work for Andy Leibowitz. And eventually a guy knew a guy that knew a guy that called me and was like, Hey, come on, come to set on Tuesday. And uh, all of a sudden I was driving a truck and being an assistant for Andy Leibowitz. And so it's, it needs to be your, it, people need to, people need to associate your, yourself with, with people need to associate you with, with the thing. And, and at right. that time I was, I was photo assistant, New York photo assistant, Jesse. So if you're, you know, you, you're saying I want to work for Andy Leibowitz. I want to work for Andy Leibowitz to everybody. Is that so that, you're in people's mind for a potential recommendation. Should there be a space or an opportunity or is it more so telling people holds you accountable to get it, to find a way to get that done? Everything, both, all. Right. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. If you tell people something you really want to do and you tell enough people, <laughs> your, your credibility is a bit at stake. Totally. Right. And it's for certain people, it's a nice pressure to put on yourself if you can manage it. So to, in other words, like, oh, I've told all these people, I've told all these people, let's, let's try and find a way we could have, make it happen. Otherwise my credibility is potentially shot can be a nice kick in the ass for some people. Should it be needed? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Totally. totally. I know. I agree. I think both, I think both those things I was, I was looking, I was just trying to assist. I was trying to learn. I was trying to do every, everything I could to, learn as much as I could. Yeah. And, uh, and along the way I was talking about the people I wanted to work for and I was mm-hmm. trying to work for them. And once you, it, an, a, again, another simple kind of boring answer. Once you get into the business, like any business, uh, you're in, you're in a community and things start happening within that space. Um, you can't, you can't be in without being in. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a common refrain I'll hear from people is like, oh, I want to be an assistant. And then I'm like, okay, what do you do on the day to day? And they'd be like, oh, I work, at, I have a day job. I'm like, well, then you can't be an assistant. Right. You know, you're not going to work for your idols if you have a day job. Um, or like, or people email like, I, I'd love to assist you. I'm available on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'm like, I don't know when my next Saturday, Sunday, Monday shoot is. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. Let <laughs> me know when you're available 24 hours a day and <laughs> seven days a week. <laughs> Cause those are the kinds of things that were expected of me back in the day. Uh, things are changing a bit. It's not as type a insane as, as it kind of used to be in that sense, but, but certainly it needs to be your job. And if it's not your job and, and it's not your number one priority to want to work for these people, then you, you just have to be insanely lucky. Right. You know, it's, you already have to be lucky even if you're trying, uh, mm-hmm. If you're, if you're, if you don't have a clean, you know, the number one, the number one, the number one desirable trait of a photo assistant is, is availability. Nothing else, <laughs> nothing else happens after that. If you're right. unavailable. So yeah, that's first step. Step that's one. The, that's the foundation. huh? That's step one. Step one, be there. <laughs> be available. Step one. I think there's also a lack of maybe fear and failure that you have uh I, 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 well i mean to to put that out to everyone um a lot of people could be like you know annie lee what's like what are the chances that someone knows her like 
this is not going to like, I'm just who I'm telling random strangers, you know, but there's a, um, Oh, that's not, that's probably not even going through the head. It's like, what, what are we aiming for? What are we manifesting? What are we like, what are we going for versus what could all go wrong? Like, Oh, this is New York city. There's 18 million people. Like what are the chances? You know, um, like doing that math. I think a lot of people do that math, uh, whether they're, you know, starting out musician or songwriter, like, oh, look at Spotify. There's so many songs. Like, I'm never going to get breakthrough. And you're already done, right? Like, you're already done. Yeah. If that's, if that's the attitude. Yeah, you won't. You can't. That makes the assumption, though, if you say, if you, if you just make that, if you simplify it, that math and say, oh, well, there's 18 million people. You're, you're, what are the odds? You're assuming that everybody is at a level playing field or equal skill or equally motivated or equally dedicated. And I think that's, you know, maybe to Jesse's point here, even with just being available, that sets mm-hmm. you apart already from 90% of everyone else. Definitely. So now yeah. you're not fighting 18 million. You're fighting yeah. 1 million. Yeah. You're, okay. What sets me apart from those 1 million? That's maybe not even talent related. It's not, it's rarely talent related. Right. Which is just, that's, I think, how you overcome that math. Mm-hmm. And the math, once you do all the things that to optimize that math, the math is still daunting. Uh, For sure. Don't, don't, don't mistake it in any way. Um, it's, it's not good math. Um, <laughs> so stop but, the equation there. <laughs> but uh, but there, it, it is better math than one in, I'm just one person out of the entire New York City population right that. right so let's backpedal a bit mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll probably finish the the latter half of this episode with portraiture um you and mentioned some when stories you're, i want some stories, some stories. maybe <laughs> there's you know some that can't be told but you mentioned uh you know when you were going to work for these people your idols you were looking for answers and I'm asking answers to what questions at the time? How? Right. Just how does this happen? Uh, This being? The the shoot, the picture. How is this picture happening? Um, Which made me a pretty bad assistant at first. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Definitely got fired from my handful of jobs um, or not asked back. There's not, there's not really firing. It doesn't really happen, but it, it, yeah, I just was, I just needed to know, I saw those books. I mean, to make it very linear, I saw those books and then I needed to know how, like, how is this happening? What kind of cameras are we using? What kind of lights are we using? What kind of situations are we in? How was this famous person in front of us? Why is this famous person in front of us? Um, you know, what are, what are the problems we're trying to solve on the set? What, what does it look like when we deliver cli- files to a client? Like, what is it, what does the post-production look like? What does the pre-production look like? What, just like how, how, mm-hmm. how? And yeah, I was an assistant for seven years, something like that. And by the end, I learned, I learned the answers. I learned the how. Right. So Jesse was an assistant, Aaron, for longer than you've had a camera twice as long for some yeah. perspective of Did long-term gratification. <laughs> I no, mean, the, the, the assisting itself was very gratifying. I, I, not to say it wasn't. This it is was, true. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I got put in, I met, I've met the last three sitting presidents. I've been in, been in the weirdest, craziest places in the world. And I've had some literal one of the lifetime kind of experiences from assisting, Mm -hmm. uh, that I also get from shooting, but, uh, but the, but the barrier to entry on assisting is so much lower, uh, that it's just, it's just pretty remarkable. So I really, I really personally really enjoyed assisting, especially in hindsight. It begs the question, you, you're assisting for seven years uh, and you have to be available 24-7. That was one of your number one uh, requirements. It's an, I mean, a little bit of hyperbole, but sure, yes. Sure, sure. But are you working other jobs to no. pay the bills? Are you, How are you getting by? A good assistant makes good money. Okay. Well, that answers that question. A good assistant makes good money. Mm-hmm. Um Sure. My first two years of assisting. Well, my first two years of assisting, I was still in school. So like I was, and I'm, I'm a privileged dude. So I, I was getting help from my parents at that moment Mm -hmm. uh, that not everyone can get my first two years out of school. I was on my own and not making much money at all. 
so you have to be you have to be able to be poor mm-hmm. um it's not it's not a assisting is not a job for someone with many dependents and many mm-hmm. financial obligations uh especially the beginning of assisting mm-hmm. um but once you once you um establish some roots in the industry and in the profession uh you can make really good money assisting and it's a really good job i think i think assisting is a a job that provides a lot of stimulus, a lot of exciting opportunities, not a ton of long-term responsibilities. And so it's the oper- you have the opportunity to see and do a lot and you're not, your career is not over if a picture is bad. It's not your picture. So, you know, a really great assistant feels the obligation to try to make the picture as best as possible, but you're not, you're not the name on the, on the ticket. You're not, yeah, you're not the buck doesn't stop with you. So I mean that that that's for the most part. Obviously, that's a generalization. But you end up working as a first assistant for any big photographer, Annie or Mark or any of these people. Then, like, yeah, obviously your 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 level of uh, responsibility significantly increases. Uh, yeah. But those are those are there's ten positions like that in the world. So. <laughs> Yeah. If you actually want to do that as a as a living, come talk to me. We'll have a have a, our own podcast about it. We'll discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> a pros and cons list. There are many pros and cons. Yeah, gotcha. I'm sure there are. So let's uh, let's move this uh, this journey along. So you're assisting for seven years. How do we go from that to eventually having our own studio, and you know, photographing people like Peter Dinklage, Brian Cranston, David Dave Letterman. Cole. Jody Foster, the list goes on. How do we get there? Let's fill this gap as best well, you can. <laughs> yeah. I, again, the short, I mean, the short, the, we've already said the answer, which is it's, it's, I was tr- trying to get here from the beginning. Right. Um, so it's not assisting ended and, and the journey began. Well, let me ask a more detailed question then. How do you know it was time to, when did you, how did you know? Okay. Now, now is my time to go off discover some autonomy, do my own show, do things my way with all I've learned. Sure. Well, I thought it was time about two years before it was time, Interesting. which is, which is tough. I was, I was a first assistant on a shoot in the Obama white house. That was the third time I was in the white house was the third time I had met the president as an assistant. And right before that job, I said, this is going to be it. I don't need to set up any more C stands, uh, for, for, for this one. Uh, next time, hopefully I'll be the one with the camera in my hand. And that, after that job, I quit assisting cold Turkey, deleted 90% of my income, 95% of my income. And then I proceeded to not work for almost two years as a photographer, uh, which was tough. And, you know, during that interim period, I was just, it, it's a bit different now because physical, physical meetings are no longer a thing really, but I was physically going on a hundred meetings around the country, bringing my book to places, talking to them, getting, trying to get people to hire me. And it took some time. And, and I thought I was ready. I thought I was ready to jump because I had been getting, art producers, creative directors, editors saying, Oh, you, I was on shoots as an assistant and they were saying, Oh, you were, you were up for this job. And like, we put your name in the ring and blah, blah, blah. And so when you hear that, and then you also feel like you've assisted enough and you feel like you're not learning as much as you used to, you you're like, Oh, well, if I quit assisting, then I'll get those jobs. And the reality is, you know, just because, just because your hat's in the ring on a triple bid for, for an advertisement doesn't mean that if you quit being an assistant, you're going to get it. You know, I don't get lots of triple bids I'm in now, <laughs> and and I and I am an established shooter. So, what's a triple bid? Just a triple bid is when um, triple bids the bane of my existence and every every photographer's existence. A uh, triple bid is a uh, an agency or a client will come to you, Aaron, and they'll be like, uh, "We're going to shoot an advertisement for these beautiful Allbird shoes, and uh, we need you to bid it." and provide us a treatment and they'll do that to three, three people. And then they will present the person who makes the decision with those three documents. Gotcha. And, um, and then they will pick one. And if you are the one picked good for you, Mm -hmm. that's positive. 
but, but it's kind of a guessing game in terms of pricing and what what's everyone else doing and what are we promising this is another this is another completely different podcast the art yeah. of the, the art of the triple bit <laughs> the art of the triple axle um, where's that speed uh the figure uh, skating. skating yeah figure skating <laughs> <laughs> the art of the triple bit is uh is a different podcast but nonetheless then i got i went into to washington dc on meetings and i met with the the washington post um this editor Anne. She met with me and she was like, yeah, you seem cool here. Sign this contract. And I signed the contract. And then like next week she was like, what are you doing on Thursday? And I was like, oh, let me check my calendar. That's completely open. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and she's like, oh, I've got, I've got Adina Menzel uh, here at this time. And uh, you might have like 10 minutes or something. Um, do you want to do it? And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. And then, and then the New York times asked me for Mike Myers. And then the, Village Voice asked me to photograph Sharon Jones, and then all these places started asking me to do stuff. And uh, it was kind of like the floodgates opened in my first year shooting. I had 80 photo shoots, something like that, uh, wow. with celebrities and and people of note. And, uh, and that was 10 years ago in 2014. So happy 10-year anniversary. Yeah, happy 10-year. Yeah. How rude of us. Right. We didn't... Offer you a happy anniversary back, but we didn't know, so it's okay. Okay, well, I'll forgive you. Yeah, we didn't know. So now you said you didn't. Oh, sorry. Just a quick question. You said you didn't photograph for two years. Was that because of assisting in like NDAs or just? Well, I did. I didn't work. I didn't get paid to photograph for the most part mm-hmm. for two years. Mm-hmm. I was I was done assisting. I would refuse to assist. I didn't look for any more assistant work. And I told the people when the people called me, I told them that I wasn't assisting anymore. And, um, and then I didn't get hired really for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Um, I was just curious if there was a, like you're assisting these high up photographers with other companies and other things. Like if you leave and then take business or, or get into your own business, is there any like NDA or like, you, you can't do that for a certain period of time? No, no, no. I mean, there's, there's a lot of unwritten rules and protocols, but listen, the people I was working for wasn't worried that all of a sudden someone was going to ask me to shoot their Vogue cover. It's, gotcha. it, this is not a um, very, very rarely is a, is a high, high level assistant, it's a different ball game. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no physical or legal constraint. Mm-hmm. It was purely the fact that people don't want to give money and responsibility to someone in their mid twenties. And it took me until my late twenties for people to be like, Oh yeah, you can do it. Yeah. What, what do you think opened the floodgates? Was it that one contract in DC and then word of mouth? Was it old, uh, assist assistees? No. Who you assisted? It was, just, yeah, like- it was just a, it was just a, culmination of all the hard work I'd been doing and getting lucky and being prepared to being prepared to capitalize upon luck and an opportunity and like doing an amazing job hitting doing the job above and beyond what the expectations were of the job and making sure I got hired back and then uh, as soon as you're shooting one thing you've got a great marketing tool to go tell people you're working yeah I don't think no one was like, get me the guy that did it, did photographed the Menzel for the post. It was more like, Oh, you just did the thing for the post. And like, Oh, we got this thing. And like, blah, blah, blah. it just, it's a little, it was a more of a culmination in my opinion. Yeah. But again, you'd have to talk to the people that picked up the, picked up, picked up the keyboard and asked me what to do the thing, mm-hmm. uh, what, what motivated them. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. And I'm, it, it's interesting the the assisting for so long you're around these big shoots you're around these big personalities and these big names and as you mentioned before the the buck didn't stop with you with the the pressure of performing however being in the game must have helped the nerves of like oh now they're calling me from the bullpen like (laughs) i have to go down and like here's this big name uh but i i've been here before I know, I know it. I know the nerves that come with it. I, I've seen how people react. I've seen big names and how they react or how they act or their personalities. Did that comfort level, do you feel like really help in your transition? It was all extremely familiar to me. I felt, I mean, listen, none of it is comfortable. Never, It's never comfortable. Anyone who says it's comfortable, it's not, 
probably it's not it's not comfortable for anyone the pressure is high you know it's like condensing the the way to equate it to like to to like your it's like condensing a wedding shoot down into five minutes you know like you're never gonna get the opportunity again your stuff has to work like you have to everything happens it's a one it's a one-time deal so the pressure is high no matter who you are and and what you're doing um i also felt uniquely qualified because my father was in the music industry growing up and I was going to a lot of concerts from the age of five and going into these, into these um, dressing rooms and, and um, backstage areas with these people that I didn't know, but I knew they some, they were famous and I was kind of being taught how to interact and socialize in those situations from a very, very young age. So interesting. Uh, once I started shooting I noticed that I was using a skill set that was really familiar to me, um, mm. like ingrained in me. And that was the shaking someone's hand who's famous and being able to talk to them like a normal person. Um, that's that's something that you didn't get from being a photographer because, again, you're the assistant from being the assistant because you're the assistant. You're kind of not to be seen nor heard unless unless asked um, in most scenarios. Uh, so the I got the technical know-how from being an assistant and I got the idea of what it would be like from being an assistant but the the uh communication and the and the interaction with subjects was something that I was really lucky to have experience with as as a, a young person up until I was 18 or so um and I could never have known that until I started shooting that that was going to be so beneficial very cool yeah I had that in my notes it's a question is the difference how you treat a celebrity photo shoot versus a non-celebrity photo shoot, if there were significant differences to that? Well, I don't treat it any differently, personally, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, in, in mindset. Uh, the, the differences are usually time. And so time is such a forceful factor in what you're doing and how you're doing it that the shoot has to look a certain way based on the time. So, I mean, I think the one of the reasons why my work looks the way it does and looks the way it does across whether I'm photographing someone who's famous or not is that I treat it very similarly. I treat the people very similarly. But but yeah, time time is the main issue. Time is the main factor that differentiates between someone who's like famous or not famous and doesn't even they don't need to be famous to not have that much time. Um, and sometimes people who are famous have a lot of time. So, you know, it just right. depends. Right. Yeah. And you, and you said literally five minutes. Is that like an actual time frame for a potential shoot? Like we have five minutes? Yeah. Well, I mean, like some of the most stressful situations I've ever been in. I mean, I when I photographed the Star Wars cast, I was I was told I'd have 15 minutes. This was a cast of like 15 or 10, 12 people or something. And I was told I had 15 minutes. And then I learned it was... 15 minutes for, or no, I was told I have 30 minutes and I learned it was 30 minutes for the interview and the photo shoot. And so I was like, okay, so maybe I have 15 minutes. And then the, that turns into like, you have 10 um, because the guy who's the writer is got more leverage than you because they're hired by the publication. And then 10 minutes turns into, it takes like seven minutes to get everyone to sit down and be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you end up having about three minutes to take a picture before everyone is being whisked away out of the room. So it can be less than five minutes. You know, some of the most famous people I have photographed has been around five minutes. I would say the average is really 20 to be honest, but, um, but it can get, it can get tight and it can get stressful. Now these photos, they might come from different directions, different motives, like the cover of XYZ magazine, or this is for a piece we're doing, or this is a headshot or like whatever it may be. Yeah. So is, is there a director that's like, we don't want smiles or we want big smiles or like, <laughs> is someone coming to you with what we need to do? Or are you asking for the input of Dave Grohl's in front of you? And you're like, Hey, what are you feeling, man? We got five minutes. Like, what do you want to do? I'm not usually, what do you want to do? I don't want to leave five minutes up to someone who might not have a strong feeling about what they want to do. Um, And then that's just wasting time. Uh, So I'm not usually asking what a subject wants to do. I'm usually giving the subject some different ideas of what I want to do and listening to them. If they, if they do or do not want to do be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's obviously a, 
any portrait is a give and take and it's a collaboration between subject and photographer. So, um, so it's certainly not super directive necessarily. Um, but it, it depends on the client. It's everything. Everything is a, its own unique situation. Most often I'm, it, it, it just totally depends. It mm-hmm. depends on the shoot. I'd have to tell you, but so I can get anything from a lot of direction to no direction, honestly. And it's never, it's never the same amount of direction. It depends on your client, depends on your editor, depends on your subject, depends on the day. <laughs> that makes right. sense. Well, let me ask then across the board, based on all these changing variables, what's essential to a successful studio or portrait shoot within your control, whether that's gear wise, attitude wise, et cetera. What's essential. I mean, gear wise, I try to make it as simple as possible because I, it's, it's a variable that I know I can control. Mm-hmm. I try to control all the variables that I know with are in my control, which are the things that you just talked about. My, my attitude, um, my equipment, uh, I'm bringing, I'm bringing, I'm trying to set the scene and the mood, bringing music, having a highly curated playlist, uh, bringing previous work to show the person so they, they're aware of the kind of work I make and the level of work I make and what to expect from the experience, bringing inspiration, pictures of things that we might want to try, poses, feelings, moods, thoughts, and bringing, a, I think, a, the most essential part of my work is being open and available to understand what is the best way to handle this situation and having the bandwidth to be like this person who was in front of me needs an upbeat person right now. This person who's in front of me needs a more subdued personality person right now. This person needs me to make a self-deprecating joke. This person needs me to tell a story. This person needs to hear different music. This person is feeling uncomfortable. This feeling, this person is feeling too comfortable. Like having the ability to be aware and assess what is in front of me in order to put that headspace and that person into a place that is going to make the picture I want to make is the number one, is the number one requirement. No, it makes sense. It's an excellent answer. So what makes a photo or portrait with a human subject in it? What makes a photo like that leave an impression on an audience or a viewer? In your That's a opinion? good question. I like that question. And I, I've been thinking that. And I know this is, I'm simplifying a complex topic do your best (laughs) yeah i think the analogy sometimes like someone that plays guitar watching a guitarist is like wow like (laughs) that is intricate and difficult and i don't know if i could ever get there someone that just likes music will be like oh yeah that sounds good right (laughs) but i want to know like portrait photography is different than I mean, Seth and I have probably have ideas on a landscape or wildlife or what makes a good cabin shoot. You know, those are some of the things that we've done. But in terms of portraits from a, from someone that's done it for so long, like what differentiates a photo of someone versus a portrait of someone? I think, I think leaving, an impression, go though, leaving an impression is different from a good photograph. Yeah. But yeah. But what's the emotional piece? I mean, well, what I'm trying to do, I, I, I honestly can't speak for other people. I mean, I think that that is a, a question that you probably could run a university mm-hmm. course on is right. what is it? What is a good picture? What is art? You know, what the, these are questions that are for academia, but what I, what I'm trying to accomplish is making it feel like the viewer was sitting where I was sitting, that they, that they feel like they met this person, like I met them and that, that I'm transporting my experience through the image to the person looking at it, uh, being like, Oh, that, that someone walking away with, I feel like I know that person in a way that I didn't know them before is what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, I love it when people, I, I know I'm doing my job when, when people will reach out to me and, and say, oh, you photographed this person and I know them and it was them, <laughs> you know? Um, and so when people say that, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I got it. Um, you're, you're, that, that's my goal. But as far as like looking at other portraits on whether they think they're good, I mean, 
depends on what day of the week and mood I'm in. You know, I, I like so much. I, I'm a photo historian in my own right or whatever. Uh, historian is probably too strong of a word. I'm a photo portrait enthusiast in my own right. And so I love I love portraits that feel like they're that the technical ability is terrible, but they've got an emotion that just can't be captured anywhere else, like a David Bailey. And I love portraits that are extremely Germanic and feels like you're taking a still life of a human, like, uh, you know, Martin Schuller does kind of like that. And, um, or, or an Angus, um, uh, what's the guy's name? I'm going to forget. But a lot of German, a lot of German photographers have that vibe. Marco Grob kind of has that vibe too, where you're kind of taking a still life of a face. So I think, I think it depends. It's like asking like, who is a good cinematographer? You know, a, a good cinematographer is utilizing their craft to tell you a story. So what kind of story are you trying to tell? And what are your end goals? And so I think a really good photograph is hitting those goals, hitting those goals that you wanted to and having the audience recognize those goals without you having to spell it out for them. They're seeing Mm -hmm. it in the picture. That's, yeah, I love that last little bit there. Having your audience get it without explaining it. That's incredible. Yeah, when someone can tell me what my work is about and I don't have to tell them what my work is about, then I know I'm doing my job. That's, yeah, that's amazingly well said. And, and, I mean, let me ask this question. Don't hit me through the the podcast. He might. Mechanisms that we have. Um, I was going through your work, and uh, I'm a big Gary Clark Jr. fan. Yeah, uh, and as am I. I got to that spot, and I went, oh, cool. And then beyond the coolness of the photo and looking at it, and then you see the words. You're talking about basketball, fatherhood, uh, music, and then there's this there's this next level connection where I go, I love music. I'm a father (laughs) and I love basketball. Like there's this next level connection with words that I would not have gotten to. So I guess my question is what to you, what level of importance do, you know, I know a photo is worth a thousand words, but sometimes a caption really can make a photo or a little uh, blurb about it in terms of writing that connection to the photo, can you expound on that a little bit in terms of, you know, that's some of your feelings, some of your emotion gets tied into that moment, but it translated to me, the viewer. Yeah. I mean, I've turned into an author. Uh, you know, I have two books with stories about these shoots and the pictures in them, the pictures of them um, cool. and the stories behind them. And the story is about my process, really. The pic- the words are really just about my process and my experience. Um, that's the only thing I can really speak to with any authority. And so I a, a common theme throughout my work is what am I relating to with these folks who I don't know? And that's something that I'm trying to do uh, with almost every photo shoot is get into people's biographies, getting in, get into their interests, uh, figure out a way for us to connect over something uh, that's common. You know, people end of a description feel uh, feel more comfortable with people that they are like around them. And so you will, I mean, I, I through through parroting, through common place they grew up, through uh, common interests through common friendships or, or knowing people that each other knows all of these things are giant are immensely helpful when you're trying to get someone to trust you and to open up to you. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly trying to employ those tactics and those tools to, to get the person to get comfortable. And I did my research on Gary beforehand. I mean, they, we have a, a shit ton in common, um, excuse my language, you know, music, huge part of my life. Music's his whole life. We're both, new, we were both new dads at the time. We both love ball. Like we both, it's, mm-hmm. it's just like, these are things that you can talk about with anybody. And all of a sudden it feels like he's talking to somebody that he is not meeting for the first time. Yeah. Um, and that's intricate, integral to, uh, to my process. Yeah. It's very cool. That makes it, I mean, ton of sense. And, uh, live live action that's what happened to me so 
uh, just going through the work and reading those little blurbs. Great. The, the, the picture draws you in and then the words give you like that, that extra, that connection, I think. So great job. Well done. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sir. <laughs> this is a nice wrap up because, you know, the very last thing I had on my notes was it was going back to that statement you made about what you're trying to do. You're trying to transport the viewer, the audience to where you were. And I was going to ask you, you know, why is that important? Right. And I think we've kind of answered it here. You can elaborate if you like, but ultimately it just seems like it's important for human connection. It's important for relatability. It's important to feel like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not so isolated in this world. There's people who think like I do. There's people who challenge the way I think there's people who are maybe going through the same thing I am. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is it important because of human connection or is it, is it more than that? Am I oversimplifying? I think that's true. I mean, I think my work is a constant search search for human connection, and uh, yeah, I think that that's a major a major player behind my work. I think it's also I think it's also interesting to look at these. I think I think there's a lot of things. I think I I, I like the fact that I can take a picture of a famous person or not famous person, and that they'll look so similar, and even the playing field that that you know famous people are just people, and people are just people, and there's not hell of a whole lot of difference between the two uh in a lot of respects uh i like that concept i like the concept of humanizing these people that are very put on pedestals i, I like taking them off that uh <laughs> and, <laughs> not yeah, in a yeah. negative way understood yeah I know um, and uh and i find that process to intrigue me uh and intrigue and make and to make for intriguing work um but yeah, it's all about connection. I mean, that's my my work. I get so much juice and so much adrenaline and so much dopamine from connecting with these people. And it's it's remarkable. I mean, it's exhausting. Uh it's it's my work is really exhausting <laughs> to do uh yeah. mentally. I'll do these shoots where I'll go in and I'll I'll like do a re a, a rebrand for I'll do a rebrand for a brand and take portraits of a whole brand or something or a whole business or company and like I'll do I'll do twenty of these pictures in a day and I'm just just wiped I'm just Toasted. totally wiped and my assistants will be like oh my god it's like you went on twenty first dates today <laughs> <laughs> I'm like it feels like I went on twenty first dates today oh man. This yeah. is intense, but that's what's so cool about it. And I get to you get to ask people questions that you could never ask them if you didn't have a camera in your hand. I'm I'm kind of getting off the topic of your question, where I'm oh, just kind good. of talking about why it's exciting for me personally, not necessarily for the viewer, uh, but uh, selfishly, selfishly, it's extremely uh, it's extremely rewarding, and and it gets that you 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 keep getting this. Uh, this like newness, this new, this new hit of connection that, um, that is your job to get, which is freaking awesome. So maybe, I mean, I gotta, I gotta ask and we can cut if we, uh, I'm around, man. I can keep but talking. We got, we got a couple minutes left for sure. Um, I, I would love to leave with like, there's gotta be in, in your years, this, this memorable, you wouldn't believe this story. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's gotta be, there's got to be one, good or bad, like whatever it may be, leave names in, leave names out, like whatever. But there's got to be this. You will be telling your great grandchildren about <laughs> this story because it's so effed or so amazing or so whatever, like just this crazy. I, I would say the commonality and the craziness is always the, is always the unknown in the curveball. I mean, like mm-hmm. every shoot has it. Uh, some to put a sports metaphor on it. Every shoot has it. Some, some have a bigger break than others. Uh, some are hanging. Some, some really, really screw me up. But, but those are the stories that just, and, and I write about all of them. I'm an open book. You can go to my Instagram. Mm-hmm. All of these stories are there. There's nothing that I don't tell. You know, there's a way to tell these stories without, you know, being negative. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been told I have two hours and then have two minutes. I've been told I'm going to shoot 
in this place and I've gotten there and set up and then I've had someone come in and say, you have to leave. You can't shoot here. Uh, that's happened to me multiple times. Talk Jeez. about it. Talk about a curveball there being like, well, the person's going to walk in in five minutes and I guess I'm not doing a photo shoot now. So what am I going to do about this? Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've had extreme, the most famous people in the world. I've had Taylor Swift walk onto a photo shoot set of mine when I was photographing someone else and I didn't know she'd be coming. Wow. So you're like, well, what do you do now that Taylor Swift's in the room watching you do your work? T-Swizzle. Uh, yeah. What if she just joined the podcast and was like, hey, guys, I'm just going to watch. just going to watch you guys interview Jesse. I have uh, so many what, questions for her. Well, no, but she's not going to answer any of them. She's just watching. <laughs> she's just watching. Um, uh, you know, talk about some pressure. Yeah. Uh, pressure there. All of a sudden, you know, <laughs> high viewing party. I've been on a shoot and the president has walked in the room and I was not expecting the president to walk in the room. Wow. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, I guess I'm meeting the president while I'm on my work on my job today. <laughs> I guess I have to turn on that shoot. We, we started, we turned that he left and we turned around and we started photographing and we photographed for about two minutes without card in the camera. We were so, we were so, <laughs> so out of it. Like we were just not prepared for that. You know, I've, I, I've just got out all kind, you know, flying on red eyes and then photographing Dave Grohl after no, no sleep. It's, it's just all of the, all of the stories are crazy in their own in their own right. You know, photographing Lauren Michaels on the set of SNL, like getting to walk around the set. Of S- S- I got to walk around the set of SNL by myself with no chaperone for two hours, and just like really look cool. at every nook and, cr- nook and cranny and be so like, cool. go back where the hosts walk out and see what that's like, which is su- shockingly small. Like it's literally just a little like tiny backstage alcove that you walk through uh, there's nothing behind there um and and just being able to explore the entire set and then say hey i'm going to be able to put the creator of this anywhere i want mm-hmm. in this room holy crap you know i got i was on the top of the empire state building alone at five in the morning one time for a photo shoot so cool just a remarkable like there's just there's just so many and then and then people have been People have been horrible to me and I've been like, you know what? We're good. I'll see you later. Like, you know, like it's not all, it's all not, all not roses of and, course. Uh, and candy. You know, people, people have been looking over my shoulder and whispering in my ear and screaming down my neck about things needing to be done and things need to be over and, and people in bad moods. I've had people that don't talk to me on the shoot. They just stand there and you're like, well, how am I going to take a portrait of someone who's not going to say a word to me? I've had that happen literally probably like three or four times to answer my questions, refuse to talk to me. Um, So Mm. that's, that's a weird one. That's a weird one. But you know what? You learn how to make a good picture in that scenario and, uh, and you walk away and you get something good. Um, And there's a couple of those pictures that are in my books, even though I did not tell those stories specifically in the books. Um, But uh it's it, it literally when you're photographing under these circumstances, every single shoot has something. Yeah. And that's why I write it, write, write, write it mm-hmm. down because like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll be talking to my grandkids about my specific shoots unless they ask me about a specific shoot. I think that I'll be like, just read the book, man. <laughs> Let's go play some video games. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you're, you're taking red eyes occasionally, you're tired, you might be sick one day, like you must have the, the Chris Farley moments where you're asking, uh, Paul McCartney, you remember that time you're in the Beatles? Like, do you have any of the, do you have, do you have any of those where 10 minutes later after the shoot, you're in your car and you're like, I'm an idiot. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, I've gotten, I've gotten better. I have to say, like, especially in the beginning of your career, I had, I hope you know. Don't interview all of my assistants because they'll they'll remember a few things I've said that I would like to forget. But uh, but I definitely have gotten better. I've made I've worked really hard on getting better. And yeah, I've been I've been really sick on shoots and can't let anyone know. This is you're absolutely right. I've had no sleep. Um, I've had a shoot the day after my son was born. You know, I've I've. Um, I've been in some pretty challenging mental situations and I mean, the, the, the solve for that is, is just experience. Um, it's, and, and being able to say, I got to get up for like 20 minutes. I gotta, I gotta, you know, it's like, I got 20 minutes where I got to do it. And let's like, after that I can pass out. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, and so it's all about having the ability to snap out of it for however long you need to snap out of it to get the job done. Um, but I definitely have had my, oh, what it was like to be in the Beatles moments. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, good friends, I think that makes for a great episode. Jesse Dittmar, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much, Jesse, for joining us today. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me, guys. I love the community that you're building. It's it's awesome. Um, I think it's really, really cool to be talking about the mindsets. I, I think that people, what your podcast gets at and what is true and what people should totally realize is that it's it's about more than the skill set. It's about more than the physical skill set and the ability to operate the cameras. Um, having a career has actually very little to do with that. Um, it's essential, but it's abs- it's it's yeah. not the, it's not the biggest thing. And to have a podcast that kind of explores that, I think, is very valuable to any any up and coming would be photographers, aspiring photographers, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thank awesome. you, man. And, Kind words. And you got it without us having to explain it to you. Yeah. So I guess we're doing something right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Thanks so much again, Jesse. Absolutely. Thanks. Anytime.